Hello, my rebels. Uh, I got something in the mail yesterday I did not want to get. I was convicted by Justin Trudeau's election commissioner of uh, two offenses for publishing a book called The Lebranos. The, you'll, I'll, I'll read you the violation citations. They actually get into how my cover makes Trudeau look like a soprano and, and how that's really mean. They actually say that's one of the reasons. I broke the law and they're fining me 3,000 bucks. You can't make this stuff up, people. Uh, I'd love it if you saw the video version of this because I actually take you through the citation letter. I show you <laughs> their art critique. It's quite something. Um, the podcast is great because I think you can m- make sense of the whole thing, but the video is even better. Just go to rebelnews.com and click on subscribe. It's eight bucks a month, which is not that much. And we live off that funds because we don't get any from Trudeau, I'll tell you that. Okay, here's today's podcast. Tonight, I've been convicted by Justin Trudeau's elections commissioner for publishing an illegal book. It's January 22nd, and this is The Ezra Levant Show. Why should others go to jail when you're a biggest carbon consumer I know? There's 8,500 customers here, and you won't give them an answer. The only thing I have to say to the government about why I publish it is because it's my bloody right to do so. It's been an extremely busy week here. We're doing so much legal work in our Fight the Fines project, so much business work, small business work, helping entrepreneurs in our I Will Open campaign to boost shopkeepers who are at their wit's end and just want to open in the face of the lockdown. So much going on, as you know, over the months we've hired new talent. We just rolled out a new reporter, Lincoln Jay. He had his first video yesterday. It was pretty fun. Uh, and in the middle of doing that journalism and public interest law and, and citizen activism, we got hit last night with a conviction by the chief elections commissioner in Canada, um, Justin Trudeau's main interrogator, inspector, prosecutor for election crimes. Of course, we didn't commit an election crime. They're talking about my book, The Lebranos. And you might recall about a year ago, I was interrogated by Elections Canada about that book, and I was certain they had forgotten about it. Well, they didn't forget about it, and I got the letter yesterday convicting me and finding me. Now, I put together this video. It's about 10 minutes long, and I put that out on YouTube today, so I hope you don't mind me showing it to you tonight also. I just think it's a very important thing that you need to know about, not just about our company, but about the state of free speech in Canada, how election laws are being used to silence independent critics, I just think this is an important video and I want to show it to you now. Now, stay there because I'll come back on the other side of this prepared video with some additional thoughts. So take a look at this. Late yesterday, I received this envelope by Priority Mail. It's from Justin Trudeau's elections commissioner. In it was two letters. I have been convicted of two counts of breaking the law and I've been fined a whopping $3,000 specifically for comparing Justin Trudeau to Tony Soprano and for publishing a book that compares them. It's this book, which was the number one Amazon bestseller in Canada, The Lebranos, what the media won't tell you about Justin Trudeau's corruption. They convicted me under sections 352 and 353 of the Elections Act. 
Check this out from the conviction letters. It's actually the largest part of their rationale. I'm guilty, they say, because, quote, the book's title reference to Lebranos, which was clearly designed to create an association between the name of a registered party and the Sopranos, a mafia-themed television show, and to link the party to corruption. <laughs> they also say the drawing on the cover is an illegal election activity. It's based on the original poster for the TV show, The Sopranos. They say that's illegal because it's too mean. Quote, drawings of the show's characters were replaced with drawings of the leader and other public figures of the party, unquote. The police say that's against the law, so I have to pay $3,000 in fines. I know you find this hard to believe, so I've put a copy of the two letters online at saverebelnews.com. Go there and read them for yourself. Now, these convictions and fines came as a surprise to me because the trial was done in secret. I was not invited to the trial. I did not even know about it. I was not allowed to send a lawyer to the trial because they didn't know about it either. This is nuts. I knew they were hunting me because they interrogated me a year ago, but I really just assumed they had dropped the whole thing because it was so crazy. Remember this, before the pandemic, uh, last year I was summoned to Elections Canada uh, their headquarters, and two 30-year veterans of the RCMP, officers who used to work on terrorism cases and drug cases and money laundering, things like that, they interrogated me for an hour. Now, I knew it was a setup, so I wore a hidden camera, and I turned the tables on them. Remember this? I've got a question for you. I've answered a few of your questions now. Have you investigated any of the other authors who published books about Trudeau at the exact same time as me? Have you invested John, investigated John Iveson's book or Aaron Wary's book? There's over 24 books that were published around that period. You haven't answered my question. Have you investigated John Iveson or Aaron Wary's books? I haven't. Have you? I haven't. Yeah, is anyone in your office investigating any other books about Justin Trudeau or just the book that's critical of him? No. Today we're here about Rebel News Network Limited. Oh, I know that. And I'm just asking you to confirm but once that, not, done, that not a single other loving book of Trudeau is being investigated. But once we're done, if you believe that there should be complaints that are... No, because I'm not a censor like you. I'm not a bully and a censor. I'm not a bureaucrat looking to justify my budget like you. I go out and earn my living every day, fella. You call in authors to grill them about a book criticizing your boss. Think about who you are. We call the director of Rebel News Network Limited. Yeah, who happens to be the author of the book. I think there's going to be a chapter in, in, about you two fellas in the next edition. I specifically asked the cops if I could see the complaint against me, and they said no. Uh, can I see the complaint against me? The letter that you received? No. I presume that you're investigating oh, based complaint. on a complaint, yeah. Oh, this is still part of the investigation, so we'll have to, uh, once the investigation's been uh, completed, um, the commissioner will have to make a decision, and at that point, she'll have to decide if, if that is releasable or not. It's not so something that's usually is released, no. So it's a secret complaint? It's not a secret complaint. It's just a complaint that's part of the investigation. And to, to, to keep the integrity of the investigation right now, uh, you all understand that we can't share everything that we have. As we oh, I don't want everything that you had. I just, if I'm here to meet a complaint, 
but you won't show me the complaint, how can I possibly meet the complaint? How can I possibly respond to something that you won't show me? Well, the, I think the letter was quite clear on, on what we're, what the infraction is, is alleged, and uh, this is what we want to clarify with you. Well, did you generate the complaint, or was it from an outside party? No, we didn't generate the complaint. The okay, so someone did not generate the complaint. So someone external to your office generated the complaint. That is usually the case. Is yes. that the case in this case? Yeah, yeah, we did not generate the complaint. Okay, was it the Liberal Party that generated the we complaint? Can't go into that, sir. So you won't tell me who the complaint is. Who the complainant is? That's a secret. Yeah, no, no, not at this point. So at what point do you tell me who the, the secret commissioner is? Is the the ultimate uh, responsible person for uh, for the investigation and, and how this uh, is so, decided? So, so how do I know what I've what conduct has been complained about if you won't tell me? They told me that I should have registered my book with the government, like they do in China. The knowledge that you would have or not have of the, of the election act, the Canada Elections Act, when you are planning the book and you, the, the, the new third party rules, because I believe there's some comments on your side as well about that, did you give any consideration of saying maybe I should register as a third party for this circumstance or maybe I shouldn't um, because of my interpretation of what I'm going to do or did you um, not make that determination? And Tim, I appreciate the question. Yeah, I absolutely did think about that at great length. Wanted to share any of those thoughts? Well, sure, some of them. I mean, I thought the day I register with the government to write a book is the day we no longer are the true north strong and free. And if Elections Canada's commissioners are stupid enough to prosecute me for writing, publishing, and promoting a book about an election during an election, then that's an important fight to have because we need to roll back these pencil-neck bureaucrats and their blackface boss and we need to remind them that we're still a free country. So I thought about it long and hard, Tim. So that was a year ago and I hadn't heard from them in about a year. I assumed that they had dropped the case after I published that hidden camera video showing what they had said to me behind closed doors, but I guess not. They were just moving at the speed of government really slow. So, you know, this is all illegal, in, in case you were wondering. The Elections Act itself says that books and the promotion of books, so ads, billboards, whatever, they're exempt from this creepy censorship. Books don't count as election advertising. Here's Section 2 of the Elections Act. Election advertising does not include the distribution of a book or the promotion of the sale of a book for no less than its commercial value if the book was planned to be made available to the public regardless of whether there was to be an election. So my book meets all those tests and the promotion of it is exempt under the law. And of course, Section 2 of the Charter of Rights guarantees my freedom of speech in the press too. So this is just Trudeau attacking anyone who embarrasses him and they're themselves breaking the law. They're violating my rights. I have to tell you, I'm not going to pay the $3,000 in fines. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm just not going to pay the $3,000. I do not accept a punishment for writing a book 
criticizing Justin Trudeau. There is not one factual error in the book. It's not defamatory. I know Trudeau hates it, but grow up, you pampered twit. I'm going to appeal these convictions because obviously it's a political setup and it's a sign of Trudeau's censorship plans to come. Just last week, Trudeau's government told the Globe and Mail they intend to set up an entire new government bureaucracy in charge of censorship, and obviously their first target is Rebel News. They really aren't hiding it anymore. I'm going to appeal these illegal convictions, and I'm going to help other journalists, even though most other journalists these days are fine with censoring conservatives and are fine with cancel culture, I'm going to challenge the constitutionality of this entire law so that no other author will ever be interrogated by police and convicted in a secret trial and fined $3,000 for criticizing a politician of any stripe. That constitutional challenge is going to cost me a lot more than $3,000. There's no way a constitutional challenge against the government will cost less than $100,000, but I'd rather spend hundred grand fighting for freedom than three grand paying off a bully like Trudeau. If you can help me, please go to saverebelnews.com, read the conviction letters for yourself, and please chip into our legal defense fund. I hope we win, and if we lose, and we'll appeal, and if we lose again, I have to tell you now, I simply will not pay. I just will not pay. The law does give Trudeau the power to seize our assets if I don't pay, to take our computers, or to raid our bank account, or even, I guess, take our books in satisfaction of their fine. Do you doubt Trudeau would actually do that? He'd probably want to take the camera I'm talking in right now. I mean, what would Tony Soprano do to me? Censorship isn't coming. Censorship is already here. We at Rebel News are the canary in the coal mine. If we don't fight back now, you could be next. Please go to saverebelnews.com to read the convictions and to help us crowdfund our legal appeal and constitutional challenge. Thank you. What do you think of that? You can see the letters of conviction at saverebelnews.com. They say that the Lebranos itself is campaigning, and they point out that one of the many tools we used to promote the book was with lawn signs. It's true. But uh, as I mentioned in that video, both books and the promotion of books are specifically exempted under this election law. Probably whoever put that exemption in knew that Section 2 of the Charter of Rights and Freedom exempts free speech anyways. You can't ban books, ban newspapers in election. That's nuts. But I guess if you are the one critic of Justin Trudeau who publishes books in election, as opposed to the 23 Trudeau lovers, you're going to get the full brute force of the law. You know, it reminds me of, uh, it, it, my point is, that came out of the blue yesterday. I really thought they had dropped it. They didn't let us know there was a hearing. They didn't invite us to make our case. It was really uh, a star chamber. It reminds me of what we went through in Alberta under Rachel Notley. Can I read to you an email that I sent to a friend? Because, and I won't say his name, but it, this is what I wrote to him, so it's fine. 2020 was a terrible year by many measures. The pandemic wrecked a lot of things. And I think some people think, well, at the end of the year, new year, new year's resolutions, new you, lots of... But no, no, 2021 is not going to be better. I think it's going to be worse. And this is what I wrote to my friend. I said, I think 2021 will be worse than 2020. Biden and the deep state have the White House on both sides of Congress. 
Trudeau's worst instincts will be unleashed. The Canadian and American parties on the right are in turmoil. The media has never been more compromised. Much of the population has been shocked into fear and obedience because of the pandemic. There are too many financial interests that love the lockdown to let it go easily. I think this is the year we must take a stand for freedom. I don't even mention the censorship that Justin Trudeau has publicly committed to. So I think in the days and weeks ahead, unfortunately, our own survival will become the news because we are the pointy edge of the spear for free speech in this country and we're the first people Trudeau's going to try and blunt. I mentioned it was been such a busy week. I didn't even tell you about a phone call I had with the Attorney General's office, and I'll get more into that next week. There's just too much to tell you about all at once. I only have so many hours a day to to tell stories, make videos, run the company, and things like that. But I truly believe that 2021 will be the watershed year. As my old friend John O'Sullivan used to say, it's easier to fight in the first ditch than the last. I think we're long past the first ditch. We're not at the last ditch yet, but it is time to fight. I hope you support us in the SaveRebelNews.com project. We're going to have to do a constitutional challenge there. And next week, I'll tell you more about this phone call I had with the Attorney General. Uh, I fear that this is the first of a long series of censorship attacks against us. Anyways, uh, that's what I'm going to pass as my monologue for today. Up next, I sit down with Mark Milano of ClimateDepot.com to talk about what Joe Biden's up to. The transgender executive order was just one of a dozen high-profile and symbolic changes that the new president, Joe Biden, passed on his very first day in office. But I want to go deep on one of the themes of Joe Biden's first day. Of course, you know he banned the Keystone XL pipeline, or at least said he would revoke the permit for it. Whether or not that will actually take effect, I don't know. I learned that TransCanada, or TC, has actually shut down construction on the pipeline, so they're taking it seriously. But there's many other things there, including about fracking and drilling. Joining us now via Skype is our friend Mark Morano, boss of ClimateDepot.com. Mark, how you doing down there? The golden age of Trump is over with a, with a disappointing first day of Biden, isn't it? The expected and disappointing first day of Biden. And yes, the golden age of Trump is over. Now it's, uh, I mean, this is an assault that's going to well exceed anything President Obama did in eight years, what the Biden-Harris administration is going to do. We are we are in it, we are under it, and we are going to be crushed uh, in America uh, in terms of our energy and uh, energy regulations. You know, I just don't get it. I mean, you and I have been talking about energy and the environment and pipelines and global warming for years. And it was rather miraculous when last year, or just over a year ago, the United States went from the world's largest importer of energy to breaking even the world's largest producer of energy, and now it's actually a net exporter. This was unthinkable just a decade ago. I remember when I wrote my book, Ethical Oil, The Case for Canada's Oil Science, the whole premise was, let's displace OPEC conflict oil imports. Well, now... America, through fracking largely, but other things too, is so strong. Why would Joe Biden want to kneecap really the, one of the two most important industries in America? I would call tech and the other important industry, but 
energy, fracking, pipelines, oil. That is the backbone of the recovery. Why would Biden want to, do, want to undo that? Well, two words, climate emergency. But actually, let me take a moment there. You said the import, the American exports for the first time over imports. We are not only energy independent, we're energy dominant in the United States. And Donald Trump helped accelerate that for the first time since Harry S. Truman was president in 1952. That's what we're talking about when we're talking about how unprecedented this is. 1952 was the last time. So Biden is literally going to come in and take this all away. Now, Keep in mind, President Trump's strategy was unique among Republicans. This was a blue-collar, middle-class, uh, Rust Belt state strategy that was going to basically tell the, the workers and the and the residents of these people that these states that they were not only going to get cheap, affordable energy, but they were going to have expanded job opportunities, and America was going to be dominant. And it actually came true. Of course, COVID upended all that at the time, but interestingly enough. Uh, Joe Biden looks at what the legacy that Trump left on energy, and he sees nothing but a horror show. And his first and pretty much number one task domestically uh, is going to be uh, to just shut down every accomplishment that we've achieved on energy independence over the last 10 years, uh, you know, including what Obama couldn't shut down. These were trends Obama couldn't even stifle, like the fracking revolution. Hmm. You know, um, I know who would be cheering for this alternative sources of oil production. So that would be mainly OPEC countries because shutting down Keystone XL cuts off almost a million barrels a day that would come from Canada, which yes. I regard as ethical oil. Shutting down fracking, closing off the Arctic National Wildlife Refuge, other things like that would shut off American ethical oil. So who's left? Mexico is a declining producer. So you got Venezuela, you got Iran, You've got, you know, really a lot of the bad guys in the world are in OPEC. Qatar, Russia's not in OPEC, but it's a major oil producer. So is that a reason? I know why they would be cheering. They would be cheering because you're taking American and Canadian production off the table. That means America's going to be buying more OPEC oil at higher prices because there's going to be less production, you know, supply and demand. So I get why the bad guys would cheer this. But other than the insane ideologues, why would any American cheer this? I mean, even if you don't like oil and gas, surely you got to see there's jobs and tax revenues and balance of payments issues here too. It's a great question. I mean, I think it's an ideological grip that they actually believe. It's, it's a, uh, what's wrong? an arrogance too. They want to come in and transform everything and they want and they believe they can be in charge and they can set it out on paper through bureaucracy. We're going to we're going to have Biden, the Treasury Department, not lending to fossil fuel companies. We're going to have the Education Department getting new grants. Every agency is going to be involved uh, with teachers so they can indoctrinate kids. You're going to have uh, Interior, EPA, State Department, Defense Department. Every department now is going to be all in on Biden's strategy. Now, Interestingly enough, it's even worse than you laid out there, Ezra, because if you look at people like Robert F. Kennedy Jr., they'll say, like, most of the wars in America have been fought over energy supplies, over supplies for, you know, coal or oil. And this is, you know, this is why we have to get off fossil fuels. Well, that's that's a theoretically a reason if you can't do it domestically. We proved we could do it domestically. As you said, ethical oil, we don't rely on conflict energy. The other problem, and here's the shocker, which I think people don't realize, is if we actually go more solar, wind, and electric cars, which is the way we're being mandated in the United States now, what does that mean? We are swapping 
not only energy independence, but energy dominance for what? For uh, getting rid of plentiful energy for higher energy costs and for energy rationing and blackouts. But the main thing is we are swapping it for mineral rare earth dependence on China and Russia with companies operated in Africa that have human rights violations that make Amnesty International in horror. So we are getting rid of our dominance and energy independence, it's, and, and we're swapping it for dependence on China and Russia for rare earth minerals and mining. So it is just unbelievable. And then here's the topper. The cherry on the top of all that is John Kerry, the new climate envoy, claims that climate change is a national security risk that'll lead to more wars as they're taking policies that will guarantee more endless wars in the Middle East and other places over conflict of energy as we hamstring our, our own domestic energy and then rely on mining and other energy for the new mandates for solar, wind, and electric cars. Mind-boggling. Yeah, well, and it's not a small thing that the first president in memory to not start a new war is the same president yeah. who brought domestic energy production to its highest heights. So uh, it's, it's just absurd to me that we would be shifting the balance of power back to OPEC and Russia, crushing and American yeah. jobs. And by the way, Trump did not go to war for oil. He actually was a bit of a peacenik, uh, but not in a surrenderist way. Uh, all the peace deals he negotiated in the Middle East, uh, neither America nor Israel gave up anything to the bad guys. It was peace for peace, which was a genuine warm peace. I'm worried that that's over too. Now, let me ask you, um, we know about the, the, the Democrat hate for fracking. That's well established. They don't like drilling. They, uh, we've talked about that. We talked about the global warming convention in the United Nations and how Biden's sending America back into that. But what about, what exactly is the Green New Deal? <laughs> is that just a phrase that encompasses all of this? Is there something specific? Because I know that uh, both AOC and the squad are strong for Green New Deal. So is Bernie Sanders. Biden gave it his own nickname, but it's the same sort of thing. What does it mean? Well, and that's a great question. It means whatever you want it to mean. I mean, the original Green New Deal was from Senator Markey and, uh, and Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez introduced in the House. And that was a laughing stock, you know, talking about farting cows and getting rid of airplanes and taking high-speed rail instead. And, um, and then they tried to sanitize that a little bit. But this was the Green New Deal at its core is a Marxist ideology dressed up in green on America. And it's a central planning aspect of every aspect of our lives from gender to race, to uh, economics, to status, to development, to transportation, to home building, to the kind of car you drive, to what we eat, food, agriculture, um, mandated diets, to transportation, uh, just on down the line. It's a complete, it's what the UN has paid lip service to with their treaties, you know, complete transformation of every aspect of our lives. Well, the Green New Deal, actually lays out that transformation. And that's, it's an amazing thing to read because it's a blueprint for bureaucrats to plan every aspect of your life. Now, what does that sound like, Ezra? Sounds awfully like the COVID lockdowns. Yeah. And that's where I mentioned John Kerry. He's actually said, we, there is no difference. The parallels between COVID and climate are striking. Mm -hmm. And he is all in on the Great Reset. So they are gonna use, the Green New Deal basically is an extended lockdown with those kind of restrictions on our life as they transform us. And you know, it's, it's gonna happen um, 
rapidly with our transportation and particularly even our diets now. Huh. They're going to go after meat eating, and they've yeah. been had that in the targets for years. But the Green New Deal gives them carte blanche oh. to re renew society in a bureaucratic way that's an old Soviet system dream. Wow, you know what? And you keep seeing these super gross little videos and fake news stories about you can eat bugs. Look at these bugs. Yes, and I keep gagging and retching and think, who is saying this? But frankly, it's the World Economic Forum is one of the people saying that. Those are the same Great Reset people. That's that Davos get together for all these uh, lefty billionaires, super gross. Last question to you. I, am, uh, I have the lowest expectations imaginable. I feel like everything has been lost. The presidency has been lost, both houses of Congress. I'm worried that the Supreme Court will be packed. I'm worried about everything. But, um, you know, where there's life, there's hope. And there is another set of elections in two years for Congress and for part of the U.S. Senate. And in the meantime, there are some Democrats in red states who might say, well, you know, I don't want to shut down fracking in my state. Um, you know, you even have... Senator Manchin in West Virginia, that's a real coal state. Yeah. You have, you know, Pennsylvania has really done well by fracking for natural gas. Is there a chance that some of these more extreme and idealistic utopian plans will be scuppered by any more pragmatic elements in the Democratic Congress, or are there no such elements of any size? Yeah. Well, I mean, yes, absolutely. The, the number one person who you're referring to would be Senator Manchin of West Virginia. He's already, he actually campaigned with a shotgun in his ad shooting the old cap and trade bill from 2009, the, the, back that when President Obama was president. So that's how he was elected in West Virginia. However, there's enough turncoat Republicans, if you will, from Lisa Murkowski to Mitt Romney to Susan Collins, that you know, it's just possible. All they have to do, keep in mind, this is where I find this, the naivete of people in Washington and, the, and people who should know better are like, well, we're just going to pass this little bit right now. It's not that bad. And we're forbidding this, whether, whether you're talking seatbelt laws or two weeks to flatten the curve or the income tax. You can look through American history. What I think they're likely to do, it is for the reasons you outlined, it's very possible people like Senator Manchin could stop a more radical version. They're going to get it through. Uh, a lighter version, and it's going to have the support probably of Mitt Romney and a few other key Republicans. Huh. And, and what's going to happen is they're going to lay the framework. And once it's in, then the bureaucrats go to work, and then the judges fail to prevent it. Just think how many judges have failed to prevent lockdown restrictions, how many judges failed to look at the voter fraud allegations. The judges are failing us, our constitution's failing us. So I expect them to get something in on the Green New Deal and that it's gonna grow bureaucratically on its own, which is how every other progressive policy has passed. I don't expect them to pass the most radical bill and the most extreme version of this bill uh, on the first go around, but they won't need to. They just need to get the camel's nose in and it's gonna be much more than the camel's nose, but this is gonna go forward and they're gonna go nuts on this. And it's gonna be like Obamacare. You have Republicans, I will repeal the Green New Deal. And I wanna curse right now, but I won't, but bull blank yeah. because once this passes, it's in, and we're going to have to deal with it. Wow. Well, it's been four wonderful years under tw Trump. I miss him already. I miss his mischievous sense of humor. I miss yeah. his uh, tell-it-like-it-is bluntness. Um, the style that turned people off, I really found it refreshing. So but over time, uh, while his personality quirks will fade into the uh, mists of time, his policies will 
you know, the, the wisdom of his policies and the success of his policies will remain. I truly believe that America will come to miss Donald Trump very much as the true nature of the Democrats reveals itself. Mark, I'm so glad you're down there fighting hard every day. Well, thank you, Ezra. Just one note on Donald Trump. I, I've always, my only critique of him, I think is fantastic, is he didn't change the narrative and a few other key things. He should have submitted the Kyoto Protocol to the Senate where it would have failed right. much harder get us back in. He should have done a National Climate Commission to change the narrative. He should have placed a whole bunch of scientists in at NOAA and NASA. He didn't. So he did a lot. He fell short on a lot of things that would have been much longer impact. Instead, within a year or two, a lot of his legacy could be crushed by this progressive radicals that have taken over. Right. There's a very interesting point about the Kyoto Protocol. It was never ratified as a treaty which is required under the U.S. Constitution. Um, well, but what uh, judges will turn it? You know, the, the conservatives on our Supreme Court will recuse themselves. Uh, what I, we, uh, I don't stock in oil and gas, therefore I recuse myself. We have Judge Alito doing that now. The Supreme Court's not going to help us. Yeah. Republicans aren't going to help us. We're on our own. That's yeah. what I'm trying to tell you. That's wow. my cherry message today. <laughs> well, I look forward to keeping in touch with you in the months ahead. You're always on top of the news better than anyone when it comes to this issue. Great to see you again, my friend. Thank you, Ezra. Appreciate it. All right, there you have it, Mark Morano of ClimateDepot.com. You got to go to that website. It is seriously a one-stop shop for anything about global warming, climate, carbon taxes, and the like. And there's technical information there, but I find the site very readable, very user-friendly. Stay with us. More ahead. Hey, welcome back. Uh, your letters to me. Sometimes we have love letters. Sometimes we have hate letters. I'm not sure which one this falls into. Don writes, I just dropped in to see how many more answers still on the site. Talking to people that I actually thought Donald Trump was good makes my skin crawl. And you can't come here and lie either. If any of you want the truth, fact check it through Snopes. Biden has done nothing to sports wake up. Oh, the sports thing. that You're referring about the Biden transgender rule. Um, hey, uh, I'll give Dawn credit. I, she has some grammatical challenges, um, but at least she wants to engage in some debate or banter or even just insults. I'm not quite sure what, but at least she's still in the I will engage with my opponents phase of the leftists' trajectory. Soon it's I don't want to debate you, then it's I don't want to hear you, and then it's no one should be able to hear you. And then it's, you shouldn't be able to talk. That's how cancel culture goes. So she's still in the first step, and I like that about her. Bruce writes, Worse than ruining women's sports is the perverts claiming to be women infiltrating women-only places like showers and changing rooms. Yeah, of course, not all transgender people are like that. But many predators see that calling themselves transgender gets them in all sorts of places they couldn't get before. Right now in Canada, it's been this way for several years, if you simply declare yourself to be transgender, you can be a male convicted of a crime but serve your term in a women's prison with other women. David writes, I've been looking forward to this book by Patrick for over a year. I bought my copy on Monday. I've only had time to read the foreword so far, but I hope to get to it soon. You're talking about Patrick Moore's new book. You know, he's such a clear communicator. I really like him. And I'm looking forward to finally being able to have that speech in Regina, Saskatchewan to which we sold over 1,600 tickets. That's our story uh, for now, our show for today and for this week. 
We'll probably have some news over the weekend, you know, because I think there's going to be some anti-lockdown protests. Keep checking back at the site. I'll be back on Monday. Until then, good night and keep fighting for freedom.